Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Today I have another guest on the show and I am talking to Eric Pothen, who is a middle school choir teacher and passionate eating disorder advocate based in Albertville, Minnesota in the US. Eric struggled with an eating disorder for several years, but I'm pleased to say he's now well along the recovery road and healing. Today he uses his previous struggles of having an eating disorder as his strength to raise awareness and become an advocate for those who are and have struggled with eating disorders, disordered eating and or body image issues. Eric is the owner and founder of the apparel company Embracewear, whose mission is to help others learn to embrace themselves and find beauty and self-worth within. At Embracewear, they believe that our bodies don't define who we are and that beauty does not come in one size. Embracewear means recreating what it means to be beautiful, embracing others for who they are and not what they look like. And as a wonderful bonus, 10% of the proceeds from this company go to local eating disorder clinics in Minnesota. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today to understand more about Eric's journey in eating disorder recovery, what helped, what hindered and what triggered Eric to begin the courageous path to healing. I'm also keen to hear about his new apparel company and his incredible advocacy work. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Eric, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So, Eric, please would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Of course. So, my name is Eric Pothen. I live in Minnesota in the United States of America, and I am a middle school choir teacher by day and recently a new eating disorder advocate. Absolutely love my job teaching the middle school age. I feel like I'm a kid at heart. And so, just being able to be in a space where I can truly be me and build strong relationships with my students and help them foster a lifelong relationship with music is such a blessing that I am able to live each and every day. Mm, Wonderful. So, and Eric, have you always been into music? Is that something that's really been important to you as you've grown up? Yeah, I feel like I've always been into music for most of my life. The funny thing is, is that I'm really the only musical person in my entire family. So I don't know how I inherited that musical gene, And so, yeah, I feel like growing up, I was always into music. I took piano lessons and I was in choir in middle school. And the funny thing or most interesting thing is that I wasn't even going to continue on with choir into high school until the choir director came over to the middle school where I was at and was recruiting me. And he came over several times and it was to the point where I was like, okay, I'll just join choir. And I truly don't think that if I didn't join choir in high school, that I would be teaching music today. So I feel like that was such a huge blessing in disguise that my high school choir director just continued to reach out to me to really keep me involved in music and how that kind of transformed into my lifelong profession now. Oh, that's really great to hear. So you obviously saw some sort of talent or spark in you with music and really encouraged that. Yeah, I would like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, and when you're sort of being a choir teacher and teaching your students, like what kind of singing are they doing? Is it like a whole variety or do you specialize in one type or what is it? Yeah, so I feel like I really love to focus on giving my students a world view of music. And so we perform all different genres of music. So we perform classical, we perform pop, and then we also sing music from all over the world and songs in different languages as well. I just think it's so important that my students get exposure to more types of music than the types they listen to on a daily basis. Oh, thanks so much for sharing. And I think your students are really fortunate to have you as a real enthusiast and really sort of broadening their minds to different music. Thank you. So, Eric, obviously you are here today because of you've been on a journey and you struggled with an eating disorder and, you know, you've come out the other side of that and you're now doing some fantastic advocacy work. Could you tell us a little bit about your story, please? Absolutely. So I would say the onset of my eating disorder began right after college. I had just moved home and I feel like I've been active my entire life, but I got a gym membership to the gym that was right down the road from my parents' house. And I was really just looking for a way to continue to find routine in my day-to-day life. As with exercise comes weight loss most times. And it was to the point where I was starting to lose weight for more regular exercise. And I just nearly wasn't drinking alcohol as much. And so I began to feel better and better about myself. And I started to receive compliments from other people about my outward appearance. And it really got to the point where those compliments from other people became almost intoxicating and that it really fueled me to continue to lose more and more weight so I could keep receiving those sorts of compliments. And it became to the point where I would be going to the gym hours and hours on end and just becoming extremely obsessive about exercise and just not eating enough food to keep up with those levels of exercise here. Yet, you know, the more and more weight that I lost, the more compliments I kept receiving. And so along with the obsessions with working out, the obsessions with food started to really become intense. And when I say obsessions with food, I wasn't eating food, but the obsessions was I was just thinking about food all of the time. I couldn't tell you the amount of time I spent on Pinterest scrolling through food recipes and saving them to different boards that I had. And it was almost a way of me allowing myself to like engage with food and just kind of become obsessive and just fantasize about it without actually eating. It got to the point where others, my friends and my family started to notice the amount of weight that I had lost. And they asked if anything was wrong, if I was sick. And I just kind of played it off as if, no, I'm just, I'm starting to work out a little more and I'm just not eating enough to keep up with the levels of exercise that I was doing on a day-to-day basis. And by this point, I was also almost completely restricting myself from any food. And I was just restricting to promote that weight loss. I remember during a lot of this time that my body was telling me that I was hungry, but I would just continue to refuse those internal biological cues that my body was giving me. I remember just crying in my room so much because I was hungry and I was irritable and I was in a haze all the time. And I 
was incredibly emotional and I felt disassociated from my body and I was always cold. And I just remember being in such a deep and dark place during this entire time. As time progressed, I kept getting more and more concerns from my family and friends as I continued to lose weight. And it finally got to the point where I was just really tired of feeling a lot of those things that I just mentioned, feeling disassociated, being cold, emotional, irritable, and hungry all the time, that I felt like something needed to change. And I remember one day walking into my summer job and I worked for a summer camp with kids. I told myself that today was the day that I was going to take my life back. And what's most interesting about that is my mind had been so filled with a lot of these negative thoughts for months in and months out, just tearing myself apart, noticing every little flaw in my body and needing to work out more to see if I could make that muscle just a little bit more toned, have my cheekbones be a little bit more defined. And that was really the first time where I advocated for myself. And I told myself, Eric, today's the day you're taking your life back. And It was that day that I allowed myself to eat more than I had in months. It wasn't to the point of binge eating, but I was almost doubling my caloric intake. And I mean, I really wasn't consuming that many calories at the time. So for me to double my caloric intake probably was just, you know, making a scratch in the surface of how much I should have really been fueling my body at the time. And as time progressed, I began to eat more and more, but then I feel like I started to develop a really intense obsession with what food I was putting into my body. I feel like a large trigger in what of mine as I was kind of on this journey of allowing more food back into my diet was that I needed to make sure everything was as high in protein as I can and that it was still low in carbs and low in fats. And I had a very strict list of foods that I could eat from. And any time that I ate foods from outside of that list, it would just be so triggering. And then I feel like that would move me back with regards to my relationship with exercise. I was starting to gain a little weight, but then I feel like I plateaued for a little bit. And in this place of plateauing, I feel like I started to become even more self-conscious about the food that I was putting into my body. And I felt just always so afraid to eat, even though that's what I knew I needed to do in order to make myself healthier and put myself in a better space. And this is really when my recovery started to become a little bumpy and a little scary. And reflecting back on this every time I talk about my story, always brings up a little bit of shame for me, but I feel like I've been learning to grow and accept this part of my recovery story and and just feel so called to share this part because I feel like it's in these really dark moments that I feel like we learn a lot from. And so there was a point in my recovery journey where I started to return to use alcohol to put me in a very altered state of mind to reduce some of the shame and guilt that I had whenever I ate. So I would use alcohol to allow myself to eat with a little less shame and guilt. And normally it was when I used alcohol, that's really when it turned into a really unhealthy cycle of binge eating followed by restricting, followed by binge eating, followed by restricting. And it just became such a nasty, toxic cycle that I feel like I was 
it took me a really long time to ever break free from that. And it was shortly after that where I began to spit and chew. And I remember finding you on Instagram and you had just made a post about spitting and chewing. And I feel like that really, I just felt so seen and heard when you had made that share with that. And I feel like after reading that, it just made me feel a little less shame around that and that that is a behavior of those with eating disorders. But I feel like the way you presented it was very educational. And it really, like I said, it just reduced some of that shame and guilt that I felt around there. And when I was spitting and chewing, and it was typically a lot of the foods that I was restricting from my diet. And so that was a lot of sweets. Like sweets is a food that I just crave naturally and so much when I was in the depths of my eating disorder. And so I found myself doing that quite often. And I couldn't really, once again, with that cycle, I couldn't really find a way to break out of it. And it just became a space where it felt so indulgent and it felt like, oh, you know, if I'm spitting and chewing, I'm allowing myself to eat these foods without the fear of gaining a lot of weight because I wasn't allowing myself to actually ingest these foods. And so I signed up for a marathon And that was really, you know, a big, it's been on my bucket list forever and ever. And so I told myself, you know, like, let's do this. And it really wasn't until I started training where I realized like, if I'm going to be training for a marathon, I really need to start to be mindful of the food that I'm putting into my body and making sure that I'm giving my body enough fuel for the amount of exercise that I was about to embark on and training for this marathon. And a key phrase for me that was just such a source of inspiration for me and in my road to recovery, and I believe I'm still in recovery right now, but food is fuel. I don't know what about that phrase was such a grounding thing for me, but I remember every time that I was eating, I was like, I am giving my mind and my body fuel to function like a normal human being. And I was really, really proud of myself for you know, trying to get over this hurdle of fueling my body with more food. And I feel like it was really this training for the marathon that helped me level out and kind of get rid of a lot of these toxic cycles that I'd been in before with binge eating and restricting and spitting and chewing. And then I felt like I was in a good space for a while. And It was last summer where I finally felt called to share my story of living with an eating disorder on social media. And I was absolutely terrified of sharing this with the world as I really feel like there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation around eating disorders or disordered eating. And I feel like there's been a lot of focus on mental health and opening the door to having more normal conversations around that, which I think is absolutely beautiful, but there hasn't been a whole lot around eating disorders. And so I shared that with the world. And I feel like by sharing that, it allowed me to begin my own healing process of learning to honor and to accept my past of living with an eating disorder for several years and really just being more gentle with myself. And after I shared my story, I received so much love and support from family and friends that it really solidified my choice in sharing my story with the world. So 
And then after that, I began my advocacy work. I feel like there's this one day where I was driving in the car and I just got this message of you should really like begin advocacy work and, and to just open the door to a space that there hasn't been much conversation around. And so then began my advocacy work. And really in a lot of this work, I've been just trying to promote self-worth and self-love and really letting people know that, you know, who they are on the inside is more important than exterior appearance and just really trying to help them foster a sense of self-love and becoming so grounded in the love that they have for themselves that the noise they hear on the outside doesn't matter in that how they love themselves is the most important gift that they can give to themselves. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Eric. I really appreciate you talking so openly and sharing some very difficult and vulnerable experiences there. Absolutely. I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Are you okay if I just pick up on a few bits from your story? Of course. So, Eric, what's really interested in, like, it sounds like this real trigger for the eating disorder was like after college and, you know, being back home, getting involved in the gym. Prior to that point, how had your relationship been towards your body? Had you ever sort of struggled with body image issues before that? No, I never really did. And I feel like that's what's the most interesting thing is that I never really even like second guessed what my body looked like until after college. And I started to lose weight and receive compliments from other people about that weight loss. Mm, sure. Yeah, no, really interesting. And I think it's quite fascinating, isn't it? Because I think I know from my own experience, I was really quite body neutral up until a certain age. And then it was once I started dieting that the focus really went onto my body. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It really is. And I think, you know, once I started to lose weight and pay more attention to the way that my body looked, I feel like that's really when I started to kind of get within the grasps of diet culture and a lot of that messaging and, and always looking at, you know, men's health magazines and making sure that, you know, I was doing all the exercises in there so I could have a certain body type. And I just strived for something that is just really unachievable for my body and my body type. Mm, yeah. So what's really interesting for you as well is it, it sounds as though when you were on this journey, at least in the early days, that you suddenly received all this praise and external validation and how that almost became quite intoxicating. And, you know, I think I can just really see as well, it's, it's very seductive, isn't it? You know, as human beings, we like praise, don't we? Of course we do. And you can really see how that external validation really fueled the whole cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I today, I feel like I'm more mindful about the way that I approach talking to other people. I feel like it's so common for us to, after not seeing someone for a long time to say, oh, hey, you look great. Or, hey, have you lost weight? And really praise them for that. And I feel like I've really tried to reshift my own vernacular and language around talking to people. And really, instead of complimenting on exterior appearance is really trying to highlight more of interior or 
qualities within that other person of, hey, I love that shirt or, you know, I love your smile. You are so generous in giving and really trying to focus on those innate qualities. Because for me personally, I feel like those compliments are more genuine. And I feel like those compliments are more satisfying to get now for me, where I'm at in my journey, as opposed to getting compliments on my physical appearance, which I think for me is honestly somewhat triggering. Even when I still today get compliments of saying, oh, hey, you look great. You look really strong. That still brings up some intense emotions for me from time to time. Mm, Yeah. And thanks for sharing that. And I think it is is a very precarious thing, isn't it? Because I think, although it can feel fleetingly lovely maybe to have those external compliments about one's appearance then there's the pressure isn't there to maintain that and it can feel very conditional and there's a whole kind of deeper story beneath it isn't it which could not be very helpful at all yeah I mean you don't know what behaviors you could be reinforcing just by telling someone that you know you tell them that they look great like they could be really struggling with eating they could be restricting they could be binging and purging they could be over exercising there are so many things that we don't know about a person's story and so I really would love for there to be a shift away from complimenting people on physical appearance and more towards innate qualities that they have as an individual Yeah, and I'm so with you. So Eric, I think all of us are vulnerable to external validation. I think as human beings, it's the way we are sort of constructed, aren't we? We want to be part of the tribe, we want to be accepted, all of those things. But when you reflect on your own journey, and you think about perhaps how you felt about yourself, your self-esteem, your self-worth, when you reflect on it, do you think you were vulnerable to looking for that external validation or not particularly? It's just something, it's just a cycle you got into when you were going to the gym. That's a really great question. I mean, I feel like what fueled my, you know, drive to continue to lose weight and to make my body look better was the external validation. And so honestly, that's what drove me to, I feel like deeper and deeper into the depths of my eating disorder was like I said earlier, those compliments were just so intoxicating. And, you know, there was a direct correlation with me losing weight and really focusing on my body. And so, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. And you said that um, you were on summer camp and you made the decision one day that you were going to you know, start to recover, you know, go in a different direction. And it sounds like you'd probably been at quite a low point before that sort of physically, emotionally, you know, the eating disorder was really impacting you in a negative way. But what was it particularly that led you on that day to want to make that change? I don't know if there was one particular thing that made me like go, oh, like today's the day you're going to take your life back. It really just came out of nowhere. And I feel like, like I said, leading up to that, you know, I was just so exhausted all the time. I mean, I would get dizzy almost every time I stood up and I just feel like I was to the point where I was just so physically and emotionally exhausted. And I was so tired of hearing concerns from family and friends about the amount of weight that I had lost that something just needed to change. And I'm so grateful for that one particular moment where I chose myself for once. Yeah. 
And Eric, I understand you didn't seek formal treatment or sort of therapy in recovery from your eating disorder. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I feel like when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I never classified myself as anorexic. I knew I wasn't eating, but I feel like by definition, I was definitely anorexic. But I was absolutely terrified of admitting that I had an eating disorder when I was in the depths of it. And I was even more terrified of, you know, if I did come out with, you know, my eating disorder, terrified of what treatment would be like. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, many, many people feel like that, don't they? When you're in the depths of it, sometimes you feel like, maybe this isn't like a real eating disorder or, you know, you know, something's not right, but it's still hard to feel like, do I fit into that diagnostic box? You know, do I, have I really got an eating disorder? (laughs) But do you think as well, was it about, you know, obviously being a male and having an eating disorder, do you think, were there some barriers in terms of being able to speak up or feeling that the treatment was going to be helpful or right for you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like even today when you hear eating disorder, I feel like most people's first response is when, you know, you think of the gender that it affects the most is that it affects the female population. And I feel like, you know, being a man and having an eating disorder, it was terrifying to almost be part of the minority population or a part of the population that aren't typically associated with having an eating disorder. And so I definitely think that that played into my choice to not really come out with my eating disorder. And I also feel like the notion of going to treatments was terrifying because that would mean weight gain. And that was the last thing that I wanted at that point in time as well. Mm, Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think you know, I'm sure many people listening as well will really relate to this, you know, one, just perhaps that kind of stigma in terms of being able to kind of access treatment and the fears around it, but also as well being absolutely terrified of weight gain and that sort of ambivalence sometimes, isn't it, about kind of recovery, like in a way really wanting to move away from the eating disorder, but being absolutely scared about what that would mean and what might happen to your weight and what might happen to your life. Yeah, absolutely. And looking back, I wish I really would have had the strength to receive or to go to treatment and to have been more open about having an eating disorder. And I often wonder, like, where would I be at in life right now? And where would my relationship with food be right now? Had I gone in and received the proper treatment to really begin to heal my relationship with food in my body? Hmm. Yeah, no, sure. It's so tricky, isn't it? I think we're all kind of doing the best we can at the time, aren't we? And I guess as well, Eric, you could always access it in the future if you wanted to, even if it's more of a psychological focus rather than so much about food and weight. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like as I've been doing this advocacy work, I've been trying to educate myself more and more about things within the eating disorder community and topics around that. And something that I've been reading a lot about right now is intuitive eating. And that, as I've been reading about it, has been such a beautiful tool in my own healing process as I continue to recover from my eating disorder. And I feel like as I began to read about it, it really made me realize how much of an unhealthy relationship 
that I still have with food. And so as I've been reading about it, I've actually been trying to practice these intuitive eating more and more on a daily basis. And I feel like today, right now, this is the least I've thought about food in years. And really just focusing on retraining my body to pay attention to those biological cues of hunger, honoring it, and really just saying, you know, my body goes, you're hungry. Okay, well, then I'm going to eat. I'm not going to ignore that. And I'm really going to allow myself to eat what it is that my body is craving. And I feel like for me, this has been where a lot of my growth has been journey in the road to recovery for me of, you know, eating a lot of foods that would be triggering to me when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, like pizza or ice cream or even potato chips, things that are deemed unhealthy, quote unquote, and really just allowing myself to eat those foods and to enjoy the process has been such a gift that I've given my body. And it's really been a good push for me mentally to begin to heal my relationship with food. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear. And I think, you know, for so many of us, actually, the 10 intuitive eating principles have been like such a wonderful framework to really help you begin that journey to heal your relationship with food. So, you know, I think, yeah, anyone listening who's struggling, that is such a great starting point, isn't it? Because I think whatever depths you're in with your eating problem, they're parts of those principles that you can start to implement and can start to sort of shift you in a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing for me is like quieting the food police. I feel like that noise is so loud in my mind. Anytime I go to eat something that my mind is like, oh, you shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't eat that pizza. That's not healthy. And so I feel like, you know, that's very prevalent in a lot of people's minds as they go to make their food choices for the day. And I think learning to first recognize that that's the voice inside of your brain that's telling you you shouldn't eat that. And that's not necessarily your mind. That's the food police telling you you shouldn't be eating that. Your mind is telling you that you want to eat that. And so really learning to challenge that food police. I think that's been a really big area of growth for me as well. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that because I'm so with you with that because I think Quite a lot of people get stuck in a sort of quasi recovered place where there are still so many rules, even though their relationship with food may be improved. And the trouble is, as you and I both well know, when those rules are really strict, when we have a lot of good and bad foods, a lot of sort of forbidden foods, we're like on a tightrope, really, in terms of being at risk of binge eating, chewing and spitting, those other sort of disordered eating behaviors, because it's just not sustainable to live with such a degree of kind of strict rules to follow. Right. And I mean, you know, before I started to read about intuitive eating, there would still be moments where I would find myself binging. But I feel like now that I've really started to hone in and really come back home and to be more in my body and as I eat and as I get ready to eat that it has extremely reduced the amount of times that I would binge eat. 
So really kind of connecting back with your body, starting to trust your body, listening to your body, responding to your body, doing all those things has just really, really helped. It really has. And I think, you know, what was most shocking to me was as I was reading the beginning of a book about intuitive eating is, you know, they talk about how diets just don't work, that our body isn't meant to restrict. Our body is not meant to, you know, be deprived and it does more damage to our physical health than good. And I think reading about all of the negative physical effects that dieting has on my body, like absolutely terrified me to want to go on any sort of diet the rest of my life. Like hearing and reading about all of those things, it just terrified me of, you know, what I actually did to my body as I was in the depths of my eating disorder. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think we're under the illusion sometimes, aren't we? I think due to diet culture that if we're losing weight and restricting foods, that that is healthy and we sort of lose sight of all the damage that we can be doing physically and emotionally. Yeah, I really think that there needs to be a shift and it's almost like we need to drown out the noise of diet culture. Like that is becoming more and more prevalent, I believe, in our society today. And there's so much attention giving to external appearance that Diet culture, I believe, is just driving so many people into some very unhealthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a very powerful force, isn't it? And I mean, thankfully, I think there is a lot more pushback from, you know, I think probably your generation and the younger people, but we've got a long way to go, haven't we? We really have. Yeah, I'm super excited. I just bought a book recently that came out at the beginning of the month with how to raise intuitive eaters. So really focusing on today's youth and how do we raise them to become intuitive eaters. And so I remember we had spoken over the summer and I remember asking you, you know, where do you feel like a lot of the work lies in the topics of eating disorder and where can we focus a lot of our time and energy? And I remember you answering, like, we need to focus on the youth. And when that book came out, my mind just immediately jumped back to our conversation that we had had about, you know, we really do need to focus on today's youth because they're the future. And if we can raise them to really quiet the noise of diet culture and to promote more body neutrality, body positivity, the future is going to be looking so bright, I believe. Yeah, absolutely agree. So Eric, I really appreciate that you talk very openly about chewing and spittings. I think that's something that many, many people struggle with, but it's still something that is very, very difficult to talk about. And there's a lot of shame around it. Please, could you share some of the most helpful tips that have helped you to break out of that cycle? Because I think it's very rare, you know, just having someone like yourself who's on a platform and you know, being willing to sort of talk openly about this. So yeah, I'd so appreciate that if you just share a few of your tips that have helped you. Yeah, I think for me, it was the realization of what I was doing was just not necessarily like healthy. And I think for me, like the realization and the amount of money, I mean, I could not tell you the amount of money that I spent on sweets to just spit and chew them. And so not only was it kind of like a financial thing, but also the realization of 
I need to get to a healthier spot. Like I can't continue to do this. And like you said, there's a lot of shame around it. And I feel like this is a part of my story that I feel the most amount of shame around every time that I tell it. And every time I reflect back on when I was to this place, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I would just love to be able to eat this food and and to not spit and chew it. And so for me, it was gradually allowing myself to eat these foods again, maybe not a full donut per se, but okay, let me start with a quarter of a donut and see how my body responds to it. Okay. I ate a quarter of a donut. Now let's try half a donut and let's see how my body and mind responds to that. And it was really just trial and error. And I think, you know, people need to know that it can be kind of messy and recovery is not going to be as linear as we want it to be, but really it was my drive to wanting to get out of that cycle that I feel like really pushed me to challenge my mind and to allow myself to eat those foods more regularly. Thank you for sharing that. So Eric, could you tell us more about your apparel company and your clothing? Yeah. Tell us more about that, please. Yeah. So towards the end of December of 2021, I started an apparel company called Embrace Wear. Before I launched that company, I had actually taken a trip out to New York, which was a beautiful trip. And I remember landing in New York and I feel like I get these just like messages that come to me from time to time. And I'd been looking for ways to expand the outreach of my messaging and how I could try to create a bigger ripple effect with a lot of the work that I've been doing around raising awareness around eating disorders and body image and disordered eating and whatnot. And I just got this message that I need to start an apparel company that aligns with the messaging of the work that I'm doing. And that's really going to be how I can you know, create a larger ripple effect with a lot of this work that I've been doing. And I remember getting home from that trip and I just started journaling, you know, what is at the core of a lot of this work that I've been doing. And the word that came to me first was the word embrace. And really at the center of this work and in the space that we're in as advocates and whatnot, that we need to be able to embrace and love ourselves from within and recognize that who we are as an individual on the inside is enough and that we get to define who we are, not our external appearances. And so with that, I created a mission statement for the company. That's really been my mission statement as well for the work that I continue to put out there on my social media platforms of raising awareness around eating disorders and disordered eating and body image and whatnot. And that has been such a grounding thing for me to have. And one thing that I take pride in with this new apparel company that I have called Embracewear is that 10% of profits or proceeds will go to local eating disorder clinics here in Minnesota to help patients pay for treatment so they can continue to heal their relationship with food in their mind and their bodies and to help them kind of re-harvest that self-love that they have for themselves. Mm. Well, it sounds like a wonderful venture 
And it really fits with the heart of your values, doesn't it? And the way that you have approached your own recovery from shifting away from that external validation and coming back to sort of really what's important within. And yeah, that self-love. Yeah, self-love. I feel like that's something that I've been working on even myself in this. I feel like, you know, as I'm doing this work, I actually have to practice what I preach here, right? So if I'm putting stuff out there about the importance of self-love and how we need to love ourselves, I actually need to be working on that myself. And I feel like in my own journey of rediscovering the love that I have for myself is that, you know, I hope that others can get to a place where, you know, the love that they have for themselves can just radiate outwardly and just shine and they can shine as an individual and they can just go and be in this world more grounded in who they are and proud of who they are and, you know, paying more attention to who they are as a person and letting that be their driving factor and showing up in this world rather than needing to fall into some category of the way that they need to look in order to be valued in this world. So Eric, how do you ground yourself daily in the practice of self-love? What are some of the things that you do? I feel like for me, a lot of it is shifting the narrative. I feel like I just mentioned, you know, challenging the food police is something that is still, you know, very real for me on a day-to-day basis. And You know, I think it's learning to reverse the thoughts back onto the food police of, no, this is what sounds good to me in the moment. And, you know, when I go to look in the mirror and I'm not happy with what I see, I shift the narrative to, you know, wow, you have been doing such a great job with allowing yourself to eat what truly sounds good to you, even though that might be a food that you deem unhealthy, you have been doing such beautiful work on creating a healthier relationship with food. And I feel like the more that I continue to focus on my own growth and things that I'm doing to get myself in a better space with food in my body, the quieter that other narrative becomes. And I think I really try and, you know, give myself affirmations on a daily basis. And I think there is such power to not only writing down affirmations for yourself, but saying them out loud to yourself and in the mirror. And I know for me, when I started to do this, it was incredibly awkward. But as I continue to do this more now, I just find so much power in it. And it really makes me believe myself when I say these things to myself in the mirror and out loud. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Because I've spoken to several people that have really found that mirror work and the use of affirmations to be hugely beneficial. And even though perhaps in the beginning, it's felt a little bit cringy or difficult, actually putting that into practice consistently has really allowed a shift in those sort of internal beliefs and in terms of self-worth improving. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you think neurologically, what you're doing right there is you're really just building those new neural pathways and you're weakening those other neural pathways that have been become so ingrained with a lot of that 
negative self-talk and self-deprecation and making those new neural pathways by, you know, saying these kind things to yourself and affirmations is challenging work. And so, of course, those neural pathways that I feel like are more ingrained are going to want to be used more because those are deeper. And so, it is challenging work to shift that narrative. And I feel like I'm still not even perfect at that. But, you know, something that I always continue to remind myself is any progress is good progress. And there might be days where I move backwards, but I can't let those days stop me from moving forward and to really try to draw me back into, you know, redeveloping potentially, you know, unhealthy habits again that I've really tried to move away from. Yeah, and it's a very true. And I think for all of us, we're never going to get to perfection, are we? It's always an ongoing journey. (laughs) It is. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that I need to remind myself more of is I feel like I'm such a perfectionist. And so learning to let go of that perfectionism and needing to be perfect kind of as I continue to recover is something that is I've found is really important to kind of make the process a little less intimidating for myself. So Eric, where can people find you if they want to know more about the work you're doing? Absolutely. So I am on Instagram. So my personal Instagram account is at epothen, and that is spelled E-P-O-T-H-E-N. And then I have an Instagram handle for my apparel company, Embracewear, and that is at Embracewear Co. And then where you can find a lot of my product is on Etsy. And if you search Etsy, you can also search Embracewear Co. And so that's where you'll find all of my product that I have so far. Currently, I have t-shirts and long sleeve tees and some stickers. And I've also been coming up with another fun idea here of starting to sell bracelets with crystals that stand for self-love and beginning to create those to start to sell as well. So that's something to be looking out for. Okay. Now sounds exciting. I shall make sure Eric that all of those links are in the show notes if people want to get in touch or maybe, yeah, buy some of your stuff from Embracewear. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I just really hope everyone out there that is listening knows that they are enough as an individual and that, you know, where they're at now in their bodies is perfect enough. So. Oh, well, thank you for that kind message at the end. And I really appreciate Eric, you coming on the podcast today and for sharing your story, being so open and vulnerable. I really appreciate it so much. And I know so many of the listeners will do too. So thank you. And thank you so much for having me and thank you for the work that you do as well. I feel like I personally find so much value in the work that you put out there into the world and how it helps me in my own healing process. So thank you as well, Harriet. Oh, thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Eric's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Eating Disorder Therapist. If you want further support with your relationship with food, do go to my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. I also have an online course for just £99. It's like 10 modules, 10 steps to intuitive eating, loads of content packed in there that I use in the therapy room to support my clients. If you want to like access that in a really affordable way, do either go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk or to my bio on Instagram and you can link through to it there. So I hope to see lots of you there 
and you get email support from me. I've probably said that already, but just to emphasize that throughout the course. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd so be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And thank you to everyone who's just sending me lots of like lovely feedback on email about the podcast and just about some of our wonderful guests. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, thanks to all you guys for making it such a success. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.